What's going on, Hume? How you guys doing? You have a good day? Oh, I had a great day. I don't know if you saw, but my family arrived. I was dragging my little boys around in that wagon. I heard many of you as I walked by say, oh, the cheeks are real. <laughs> and they are. They are. Uh, I forgot to tell you guys something, and you may have noticed if you watched my wife walk by. We are expecting number three. Yes. I am very thankful to be here with you two times in one day. What a treat. We're going to jump back into God's Word. And so if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, please open it to John chapter 1. We're going to start in John chapter 1. As we navigate this whole week and we talk about this concept of truth, we're going to be using the Gospel of John as our framework. We're going to be using the Gospel of John as our launching off point to understand what God wants us to know about His truth. And tonight, this morning, we talked about the truth about truth. And we talked about the fact that truth exists because God is real, because God exists, because there is an eternal creator, a sovereign king who is the source of all things, and that that truth has come near to us in the person of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the truth of Scripture. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the Bible. A month ago, I had the opportunity to go to Hume, New England, which was very fun. It is, uh, in, the, it's in Massachusetts. It, it's in an area that has a very pretentious name. It is called the Berkshires. I read it, and I said, uh, it looks like Berkshire. And I said it, and a very pretentious person at the airport said, um, it's called the Berkshires. I vacation in the Berkshires. <laughs> you have to be apparently like very wealthy to go there, but there's a very great campground. It's Hume, New England. I got to go there. I flew into Albany, New York. And when I got there, uh, I landed in Albany, but my bag did not. Have you ever had this happen? I landed there, and uh, luckily I had like my Bible and what I needed to preach, but I didn't have anything else. And so uh, for about a day and a half, I was separated from my luggage. Now, I had flown on Delta Airlines, and the good news is Delta Airlines had a very elaborate system to bring the two things that were separated together. And so they had all kinds of elements to this system. They had a full-on strategy, right? The bag was tagged with a number, and then I had a receipt that corresponded to that tag, which was linked in a computer system to my name. So when I went to the baggage claim area and I said, hey, where's my bag? They said, they typed it in on the computer and they said, well, it's not here, but we will get it to you. And so they eventually got it to Albany, New York, and like 36 hours later, they sent it uh, about an hour away to Hume, New England, and a very kind old man with white hair in a Toyota Tacoma went bumping along the road with my suitcase, and he brought what was lost to me. And this is all because Delta had a strategy to get my suitcase to where I was. And maybe as we talk about this concept of truth, you think to yourself, that feels very far away from me, and it feels very irrelevant to me, and I don't know if I could grasp it or know it or hold it or understand it. I've got good news for you today, and it's just this good news, that God has a strategy to get the truth to you. You may feel very far away from the truth. You may feel disconnected from the truth, like your luggage is lost and you don't know how to get it back and you're without what you need, but God has not left you without 
the ability to access and to know and to receive the truth. In fact, God has devised a very simple strategy to get the truth to change your life. If we were just going to talk about one thing tonight, it would be that, this, that the Bible is God's strategy to have the truth change your life. The truth does not have to be irrelevant to you. The truth does not have to remain abstract or far away from you. The truth can intersect you right where you are in your life, with your family, in your situation, at your school, in your relationships, the circumstances in which you find yourself. God wants the truth to change your life. And so he has devised a strategy to do just that. And his strategy is the Bible. His strategy is the scriptures. It's one of the primary ways that he has decided to deliver the truth to you. Now, maybe you think to yourself, well, I've read the Bible. I've like kind of explored some of the parts. I've tried to crack it open, and I find it hard to read. I find it hard to understand. I find it hard to track with. And I certainly have never cracked it open and thought, wow, this is life-changing. Maybe you find yourself in that boat Maybe you think that the Bible is dated or irrelevant or old or archaic, but the good news is that I want to show you tonight there's a few ways that the Bible doesn't have to be any of those things. There's a few things that if you know them and you embrace them, yes, the Bible can at times be a little bit complex and maybe you'll need help to understand it and maybe you'll need to read it for a long time to understand the big picture of it. That's true for everyone. It's a big book. But I'm here to encourage you that there is a way, there is three ways I want to show you that the Bible can change your life. And so we'll unpack them like this. The Bible changes my life when? And this is for you. This is for you and this is for me. This is what God's word says about itself. The Bible changes my life when, and here's the first one, when I know who it's about. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about. One of the problems that we have with the Bible is that there is a lot of varying opinions and a ton of misunderstandings about what the Bible is and what the Bible is about. And if you don't understand what the Bible is all about, there's no way that the Bible can actually do its work in your life if you completely misunderstand its nature. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about. You see, the Bible is a it's not just one book, it's actually a collection of a whole bunch of different writings. The Bible is like a library. The Bible has a whole bunch of different genres in it. It has history, it has narrative, it has poetry, it has uh, apocalypse, it has prophecy, it has letters. The Bible has all kinds of writings in it. It's collapsed into one cover. It's a big anthology, if you will, of a bunch of different writings written about, by about 40 different authors over 1,500 years. But all of that writing has stunning consistency and clarity and centrality about one thing. The Bible is all about one person, and that person is Jesus. You can read every part in every page of the Bible. You can see either the Bible pointing forward towards Christ or looking backwards at the life of Christ. The 39 books in the Old Testament were all written with the anticipation that there would be a Messiah and a Savior who would come. And this is all through the Old Testament. 
This is Genesis chapter 3, when God promised, as he issued the curse for sin, that there would be one who came from the line of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. That's in the very beginning of Genesis. And then all the way through the prophets who say that there will be a suffering servant, there will be a Messiah, one who will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, who will give God's people a new heart and make a new covenant with them. The entire Old Testament is looking forward to, is anticipating a person, Jesus, And the 27 books of the New Testament are looking back on Jesus to understand who he was and what he accomplished and what his words meant and what his ministry did for us. The whole Bible is all about Jesus. And these two great realities, the anticipation of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus, these two great realities, they collide in John chapter 1. And I want to show it to you. Look at John chapter 1, verse 19. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's word in front of you. It says this, And this is the testimony of John, that's John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You see, these religious leaders, they came to John the Baptist because his ministry was making a a big Uh, It was making a big scene in Israel, and many people were coming out of the city to the wilderness to be baptized and to listen to John teach, and there was all kinds of commotion and all kinds of energy around John's ministry. And so these religious leaders who are anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, they go to John and they're like, are you the guy? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one that the Old Testament has taught us to long for? And he says, no. They're like, okay, well, are you at least Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you this figure that we have been anticipating because the scriptures taught us to? And he tells them that he's not any of those figures, that he's not the one that they should have been looking for. But that one was to come. In fact, his job was to prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah, and he did just that. Many of these religious leaders, they missed Jesus altogether, even when John the Baptist saw him. But John chapter 1 goes on to tell us about a guy named Philip. So if you pull your eyes down to verse 43, Philip, rather than missing Jesus, he knows exactly who Jesus is. Look at what he says. John 1 verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Philip says this amazing thing. Philip goes to the people he was closely related to, and he said to them, We have found the one person that the entire scriptures are about. This is a big deal. You have to remember at this time there was no New Testament. 
And so for them, it wasn't the Old Testament. It was just the scriptures. It was what they had. And that's exemplified by what he says. He says, I found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. That's his way of saying all of the scriptures are about this one guy, and I just met him. His name is Jesus, and he's from the town of Nazareth. He, he testified to all of these people who were looking for Jesus, and he said, it's him. This is the man. And Philip was exactly right. All of the scriptures, everything that Moses wrote in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and everything that the prophets wrote, all of it was teaching us to anticipate that Jesus Christ would come and be the embodiment of truth from God. Now, this is, this is really, really important for us to understand because the Bible, it changes our life when we know who it's about. The first and most important thing to know is that the Bible is about a person. And if you don't know that, if you don't know that the Bible is intended to introduce you to a person, you might miss the point of the Bible entirely. When you're a little kid, like my son Jude, we are oftentimes having to teach him about the purpose of things, like the function of things. He just totally misunderstands. We were just in the dining hall. He was convinced that his fork was a hammer. And so he's just pounding the table over and over and over again. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't really understand what the fork is for. And you're trying to train him and teach him and help him to understand. And if just like that, if we don't understand the purpose of something, then we can't have it accomplish its full effect on us. And oftentimes what we do with the Bible is we misunderstand what it is for. We often think that the Bible is like a list of rules to keep. Like the Bible is just a whole bunch of things that you're supposed to do and not do. And that, I'm just telling you, if that is what the Bible is all about, it's no wonder that our Bibles stay closed and we don't read them and we don't care about what they say because we just don't want to be told what to do. And the depressing thing is, even if the Bible was just a huge list of rules, we couldn't keep them anyways. How frustrating and disappointing is that? If the Bible was just a list of rules, you could just disregard it because then it would just be a moral system like any other religion in the world. But the Bible is so much more than that. And the Bible is even more than a, a, a bunch of stories about heroes that you could try to live up to, but you can't. The Bible is way more than a list of rules, and it's way more than stories about heroes. The entire Bible is about a person who left the glory of heaven to come down to earth and to show you the love of God and to rescue you from the curse and the penalty of sin. Listen, a book of rules or a bunch of stories about heroes can't change your life, but Jesus can change your life. And so the Bible will have its intended effect on you when you know who it's about. When you read every word on every page anticipating that you will know something more about Jesus Christ, the one who can change your life. The Bible's not primarily to give you information, but to introduce you to a person. And that is so much better. It's so much sweeter of God. 
that rather than just yelling at us like an angry coach, rather than just scolding us like a disappointed father, he actually loves us by sending his son and he writes all of the scriptures to introduce us to the one who can save us and transform us. The whole Bible is about a person, it's about Jesus. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about. But there's a second way the Bible can change my life, and it's this. The Bible changes my life when I see where it's from. When I see where it's from. You can tell a lot about something when you know where it's from. In fact, oftentimes when we are trying to describe things to people, instead of telling them characteristics about it, we will just tell them where it came from because we're confident that if they know where it came from, they will know everything they need to know about it. And advertisers and marketers the world over are privy to this information. And that's why they call things like, that's why they say Italian leather, grass-fed beef, organic vegetables, Swiss watches, Belgian chocolate, because you can tell a lot about something when you know where it came from, right? How about, how about the phrase, and maybe you long for this even after 24 hours of camp, how about the phrase home cooking? Any fans of home cooking in the house? The reason home cooking is so awesome is because you can tell a lot about something when you know where it came from. When I was a little kid, my mom made spaghetti a lot but not any kind of spaghetti. My mom had married a man who was adopted into an Italian Catholic family. Like his adopted parents had actually immigrated from Italy and my nena, my dad's mom, grew up when her nona taught her how to make homemade meat sauce, like red spaghetti sauce and it is just delicious. And when my mom married my dad, my nena taught my mom how to make the sauce. And so she would get this amazing pasta from the Italian market and she would home make this sauce and we would eat it all the time and it was amazing. So I grew up with like a very deep affection for spaghetti. And then I became a Cub Scout and I went to Cub Scout camp and one of the nights of Cub Scout camp, uh, my troop leader or whatever was like, hey, we're having spaghetti for dinner. And I was like, yes. I love spaghetti. This meal is going to be awesome. And I walked to the mess hall with a very grumbly stomach, ready after a long day of tiring myself out, making fires and doing, tying knots and doing Cub Scout stuff. And I walked up on a vat of SpaghettiOs, which are disgusting. Like, if you like SpaghettiOs, I am so sorry. It's like, it's like radioactive sludge in a can. Like it's not even edible, it's horrible. And I walked up to the mess hall and there's a guy, there's a guy with a giant like wooden spoon, like a witch's cauldron and he's just cooking up all these SpaghettiOs. I had never had them before in my life. And I like, I'm pretty sure I put the first taste in my mouth and spit it out because it was so awful. You can tell a lot about something if you know where it came from. And the sauce that was made with the tender, loving care of my mom's hands was so much different than the sauce that came from the SpaghettiOs cans. You can tell a lot about something when you know where it came from. And that is also true about God's word. It's true about the Bible. 
That's why it's so important for us to know what the Bible says about itself when it speaks about where it came from. And 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but get this, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is amazing news here. This is the Bible saying about itself that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit who is God. This is, this is amazing news about the Bible because maybe you think to yourself, well, didn't men write the Bible? Yes, they did. They did write the Bible, but what this text tells us is that they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the doctrine of inspiration, that the, the scriptures are inspired by the Spirit of God, which means that men wrote down what, the, what they had been prompted to write, but they wrote with their own intellect, they wrote with their own vocabulary, they wrote based on their own experiences, they wrote to real people in real situations, and yet as the Holy Spirit inspired and superintended their work, the result is that every single word they wrote is exactly what God wanted to communicate to his people. And so it's appropriate that we can say this, and the Bible can say this in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So if we want to have the Bible change our lives, if we want to know the truth and have the truth set us free, then we need to believe that the Bible is not the ramblings of some crazy old dead guys. The Bible is not the mere opinions of some religious fanatics who happen to have a pen and paper. We need to believe that the Bible is the very voice of God recorded on the page to us. And I'm just telling you, if you believe that, if you believe that the Bible is communication from God to you, it will change your life. The truth will change your life. You see, the way you respond to communication has a lot to do with who is doing the communicating. Do you know that? This is the reason that there are some people that when their name pops up on your phone, like sometimes you ever get a phone call and the name that pops up just makes your stomach sink. You know what I'm talking about, that feeling? And ain't no way you're picking up that phone call. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no way, brother. You are, you are clicking that thing to voicemail at best, and maybe you're just ignoring it altogether. Why? Why? Well, first of all, you're like, what are you, a psychopath? Text me. Don't call me. Text me. You, there's a kind of person that when their name pops up on your phone, you want to disregard what they say. You don't want to hear from them. You're nervous. You feel like maybe you're in trouble. You don't want to hear from them. But there's another kind of person that when their name pops up on your phone, you get butterflies. You know what I'm saying? So listen. The way you interact with communication has almost everything to do with who is doing the communicating. And I just proved it to you. 
And this is why it's so important that you believe that the Bible is from God. And not from a God who is mad at you. Not from a God who is just looking for ways to shame you and to judge you. It is so critically important that you believe that there is a sovereign, powerful God in heaven who loves you and wants to speak to you. And he has done it through the scriptures. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired men to write and then preserved it all these years later so that we could have a copy in our hands and we could hear from the God of the universe who wants us to know how much he cares about us. This is such a big deal, guys. The Bible changes my life when I see where it's from, when I see that it's from God. If we actually believed that the living God of heaven and earth was communicating to us, we would humble our hearts, we would open our ears, we would crack open our Bibles, and we would listen to what he had to say. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about, when I see where it's from, and last, the Bible changes my life when I experience what it does. When I experience what it does. Maybe, maybe you've tried reading the Bible before, and, and maybe all the things that I'm saying to you, you're like, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. My pastor's told me that. My friend told me that. That the Bible's from God, and the Bible's about Jesus, and all that stuff is great. But maybe the reason that you don't interact with the scriptures, or maybe at this point in your life, the reason you believe that the scriptures have made no impact on you is because you have never experienced what they can do. What the Bible, what the scriptures, inspired by God, centered around Jesus, can do in the life of somebody who receives their message. And I just want to show you from the second half of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I want to show you what the Bible can do. And I hope and I pray that even this week, as we move through these messages about truth, that we will see the Bible do some of these very things. You see, there's four words that Paul uses when he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, to describe what the word of God can do, what it can accomplish. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Remember, that's inspiration. And it is profitable. That means it can get something done. It's profitable for what, Paul? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. I want to show you these four things just very briefly, one by one. Here's four things that the Bible is good for. Number one, here's what the Bible can do. The Bible schools me. The Bible schools me. It schools me, it scolds me, it straightens me, and it shapes me. Here's the first one. It schools me. The Bible gives us clear answers to life's most important questions. And that's a really good thing. Because remember, like we talked about this morning, these are questions that everyone, everywhere is asking. And these are questions that we desperately long to have answers to. Questions like, is there a God? And if so, what is he like? Questions like, why am I on this earth and what is my purpose? Questions like, what happens after I die? Questions like, what is wrong with me and how can it be fixed? 
The Bible gives you clear answers to all of those questions. The Bible tells you about meaning and about morality and about destiny and about ultimate purpose. The Bible tells you who God is. The Bible delivers doctrine to you and tells you what you can believe, what is true, what is the rock-solid foundation upon which you can build your life. This is what Paul says, that the Bible is profitable for teaching. And in a world that is so filled with confusion and chaos, and it feels like we don't have answers to anything, the scriptures offer us clarity. The scriptures offer us certainty about the most important things in life. The Bible is profitable for teaching. The Bible schools me. Number two, the Bible scolds me. The Bible scolds me. Now, maybe you read that one and you're like, that doesn't sound very fun. I don't want to be scolded. But listen to this. The Bible is a little bit like a spiritual check engine light. And how many of you drive? Raise your hand if you drive yet. Okay, good portion of you. And hopefully the rest of you will follow soon. If you've ever been driving down the road in your car, you know the disappointment that strikes when that check engine light pops up on your dash. (laughs) And you think to yourself, you go, ouch. My wallet hurts. You're like, man, I'm working at Carl's Jr. I'm making like 12 bucks an hour. I can't afford a new transmission. What am I going to do? Now listen, here's here's what's so important. Seeing the check engine light come up on your dash, that stinks. But having the check engine light not come on and you keep driving through a problem, that stinks worse. You know why? Because the check engine light is there so that you can know there is a problem and fix it. And if you blow past the problem and you refuse to admit that there's ever something wrong, you will make it infinitely worse. And so it is with your soul. You and I need the Bible to function like James chapter 1 says it will, like a mirror that allows us to see ourselves and have all of our failure and sin and shortcoming exposed. Though it is not fun and oftentimes it is not pleasant, it is something that we desperately need. Why? Because you can't solve a problem you won't admit you have. And so if you want to grow and you want to be transformed and you want to change, you know you need feedback that will give you an accurate representation of who you actually are and where you're actually at, and the Bible can give you that. The Bible can tell you in reality and in truth who you are and where your shortcomings are. But the good news about this scolding is that, like I said earlier, it's not for shame. It's not for condemnation. The Bible never uncovers your sin and your shame to poke fun at you and to laugh at you. The Bible gives you a realistic picture of who you are, and then it invites you into forgiveness and grace and transformation and change. We need this so badly. The Bible is good for reproof. That's what that word means, telling you where you are wrong. The good news is that the Bible, yes, it does tell you where you're wrong, but it never leaves you there. It tells you how to get right. The Bible schools me, scolds me, and it straightens me. Where our lives are crooked, where our lives are bent out of shape, the Bible will reveal that. But then the Bible also instructs us on how to grow, to be conformed into the image of Christ in the power of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't just uncover the areas of our weakness. The Bible shows us how to get strong. The Bible shows us how to live in a way that honors God. It straightens me. 
It teaches you how to get right with God and how to live according to the will of God. It gives you instruction and encouragement and direction, which is so helpful. You ever feel like you want to get somewhere, but you don't know how to get there, and you just need some directions? The Bible's like that. It is good for correction. And then last, it's good for training in righteousness. For training in righteousness. It is good for shaping me. The Bible shapes me. The Bible is God's mechanism to train you up like a parent trains a child or like a coach trains an athlete. It's to develop you and to grow you and to challenge you and to change you. It's shaping you and developing you and molding you. The Bible is the unique instrument of God to do all of these things. My hope and my prayer is that even this week you will begin to experience them. That the Bible will deliver accurate information about the most important questions in the world. That the Bible will begin to lovingly expose the areas that you fall short of the glory of God. But then the Bible will also give you grace and mercy to grow and to change. And as it does, the Bible will shape you into a person who loves and knows the God of the universe and who lives a life that pleases him. The Bible is God's strategy to get the truth to change your life. And this is, this is the amazing truth about the scriptures, a book that we so often allow to gather dust from week to week because we think it's boring and we think it's irrelevant. But what the Bible says about itself is amazing. When David was writing in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, he said that your word is more valuable than gold, even much fine gold. And it is sweeter also than the drippings of the honeycomb. And then he says, moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. God wants you to know the truth and to be changed by the truth. God wants you to know the value and the sweetness and the love and the power of his communication to you. And his strategy to get it to you is the scriptures. And that's why for the rest of this week, we are going to focus our time and our attention on what the Bible has to say about truth. Truth about Jesus and his life and ministry. Truth about our sin. Truth about redemption in the hope of the gospel. And truth about our lives as followers of Jesus. And I hope and pray that even this week, the truth that the scripture reveals will change your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how kind you are to us. We thank you that you love us, that you want us to know you, that you have communicated yourself to us, that you've not left us in the dark. Thank you, God, that you care for us. God, I pray that even this week, as we're gathered here with our friends and our pastors and our counselors and our churches, God, I pray that our attention would be focused on you. And I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts would be receptive to know and believe what you say is true. God, would you convince us today, just like David said, that your word is more precious than gold. Would you remind us, God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
Would you inspire us, God, to believe that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God, we need your word to infiltrate our lives. And so give us hearts to receive it, Holy Spirit. Help us to believe it. Help us to overcome our cynicism and our doubt and our objections and to simply hear from you, to open our ears to receive communication from the God who made us and the God who loves us. Help us with this, God. We need you. And so we pray these things dependently, and we pray them in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen?